Good morning. We're going to continue our series, Stranger Things. In fact, we're going to end it this morning. So I encourage you to take your Bible, whether it's a hard copy or if it's a a Bible app. We're going to get into God's Word because we trust in Scripture. Amen? We trust in the Word of God. I think I was getting this during that last song. Uh, God is the God of the dry ground. And God is the one who parts water still. It's not just for the children of Israel going across the Red Sea. God still parts waters, and he wants us to walk across on dry ground. How many people need some dry ground in their life, huh? You need God to do something and spread some waters so that you might be able to go forward again. Let's get our Bibles and get ready to get into the Scripture. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for writing the word of God. Help this not just to land in our brains, but may it be transformational in our soul, in our life. God, we pray that you would be lifted up, continue to be lifted up here. Continue to be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews 13, 9 says, do not be led astray by diverse and strange teachings. And how many people know that there's some strangeness going on in the world? And there's some strangeness going on in religious circles and even in the church. And that's what this series has been about. People have asked me about Stranger Things. Well, it is a TV series, which I have not seen one episode of. Some of you have, but I did steal the title because there are Stranger Things happening, evangelical Christianity, and in people's lives, and we need to address those. Hebrews 13, 9 was accurate. We need not be led astray because there are some strange things happening in our world. I don't know if you knew about this, uh, baby throwing in India. It's a 700-year-old ceremony where the mother will go up into a 50-foot tower, throw their child over, and the father will try to catch the child in a sheet. And they do that uh, because they believe that the child will become more intelligent, luckier, and healthier. And I'm thinking, no, they'll just need therapy later. That's all they'll need. Now, these are all true. I'm not making this stuff up. So last week, I'm saying these things, and people look at me like, no, no, that can't be true. These are true. This is what's going on in our world. Here's another one. The Raelian movement, the Raelian movement. These are scientists from another planet who came to Earth and created human beings. The Raelian movement. And then we have the Pastafarianism. Yes, the Pastafarianism, and that is the church of the spaghetti monster, the church of the spaghetti monster. And that is popular in New Zealand and also popular in the Netherlands. And then we have Jediism, Jediism. Yes, as it sounds, Star Wars, the force is very real. In fact, there are about 200,000 people, 200,000 people in England alone who are Jediismites. In fact, we have one in our midst. Uh, Scott Leonard is actually one. And, and he's, there's his disciples. Do we have a picture of him? on There he is. Okay, good. <laughs> He's already making some disciples in Jediism. 200,000 people just in the UK. Uh, they want the force to be with them. So I'm going to have to just address Scott as Master Scott from now on, right? So here's where we've been. The first message was a crossless Christianity. You know, Jesus said to do what? To pick up our cross and what? And to follow him. Follow him. Listen, it's not just about believing, it's about following. Sometimes you can say you believe, but you don't follow. That's not real belief. Read John MacArthur's book, write this down. John MacArthur, The Gospel According to Jesus. He wrote it during the late 80s. 
it was like a bomb on the evangelical church. Because Christians are thinking that just because they say they believe, they're actually converted. And it's not true. But if you're following Christ, if, if you're picking up the cross and you're following him, you're laying down your life and you're saying, Jesus, I will live for you no matter what. That is cross-bearing. That is genuine conversion. But the strange thing in the Christian church is that Christians believe that the Christian life is not gonna require a cross. It'll require a cross. It'll require for you to die. You're gonna die. That's what conversion's all about. I'm dying to myself. I'm dead. Isn't that what Romans says? That you died with Christ. No longer I who live, but Christ lives where? In me. Crossless Christianity. It's a strange thing that we think Christians, that it's gonna be an easy thing. It's gonna be an easy road. It's not an easy road. It's a hard road. And if your life is too easy, are you a Christian? Man, if you pick up a cross, you're gonna get persecuted. You pick up a cross and you start carrying that cross at work and other people are gonna know you're a Christian. Not that you're you know, arrogant and you're ugly and you're a jerk and nothing like that, but you're gonna carry a cross, number one. Number two, we saw this last Lord's Day. Strange thing is happening. We called it a crownless Christianity. Why are we doing what we're doing? Man, this isn't about us. Does everybody understand that? This is not about a church called Harvest Reading. This is about Jesus Christ being lifted up and glorified because his name is great, not a Harvest Reading. And so what is this? Why are we doing what we're doing? What's our motive? What's your motive? Somebody came up to me just recently and said, you know what, I was challenged in the area of my motives. Why am I doing this Christian thing? Why am I coming to church? Why am I serving? Why am I giving? You know, why do I preach? And all of these things need to go right to the crown of righteousness that the Apostle Paul was doing. We saw that. And so we're gonna get a crown one day if you're faithful to the end. And that crown is gonna be given to you. What are you gonna do with that crown? Put it on your shelf along with your Little League trophies and dance ribbons? What are you gonna do with that? You're gonna, you're gonna give it back to Jesus, right? You're gonna give it back to him. That's what Paul did. Crownless Christianity. It's a very strange, strange thing in the church of Jesus. Now, I've titled this last and final message, A Churchless Christianity. This is the strangest of them all. A churchless Christianity. There's a strange teaching that is being circulated, even in more recent days, that you can live your Christian life apart and separated from the local church. Apart and separated from the local church. This is a local church. And there's a belief going out there, and I'm going to try to, to persuade you to look at something that I think is important for all of us to know. That a Christian cannot survive apart from the local church. They cannot. God hasn't designed it that way. He has incorporated our lives into the body of Christ. You can't separate from the body of Christ and expect to make it to heaven. You're saying, that sounds kind of Roman Catholicism. If you're from a Roman Catholic background like I'm from, when they believed that you had to get in the church to get to heaven, the Catholic church, well, in the evangelical mind and biblical mind, that is true to some degree. We're not moving into the Catholic church, but we're moving into the true church, the evangelical biblical church, and I'll, I'll try to show to you that this is what the apostle was saying in the book of Hebrews. Take your Bibles and go to Hebrews chapter 10. I wanna look at verses 19 down to verse 25. What is this churchless Christianity that we think that we can live apart from the church of Jesus? So let me know when you're in Hebrews chapter 10, 
verse 19. Give me a hearty shout of an amen. amen. That was the front section. How about the back section? Can we hear you? Amen. You're just a shy bunch back there, aren't you? Hebrews chapter 10. Now, here's what I want you to do with me. I'm gonna read these out loud, these verses. And I want you to read them out loud at the same time. Out loud at the same time. I'm in the ESV version, verse 19. Here we go. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Everybody out loud, nothing loud. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The word of God. That was written by the Holy Spirit. Would you agree with that? We don't know who the author is. We think it's Paul, and he's writing to a predominantly Jewish audience, and I don't think it was a Christian audience I think it was those who were hearing the gospel, they were coming in close to listen, and they're, 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 they're looking at Jesus, and they're, and they're trying to understand, is this the Messiah? Is this the anointed one? But he's writing to this group of people, these Hebrews or these Jewish uh, people that might be interested in the Messiah. Let me give a definition of the church. It's important for us to understand what is a church, and I'm gonna go through some things that I wrote down that I, I think the Bible teaches on what is a church. It's a local gathering of believers who honor God by worshiping him with song, who hear and apply the faithful proclamation and preaching and teaching of the word of God. They serve one another. They give generously to kingdom principles. They test or testify boldly. They love unconditionally. They align and submit themselves under the leadership of shepherding elders. They build one another up. They pray expectantly, and they celebrate two sacraments. What are they? Two sacraments, baptism and the Lord's table. The church. It's the called out ones, the ecclesia of God. The ecclesia, the called out from darkness into his marvelous light, called out from the world into the kingdom for the express purpose of being on mission to represent God and bring people to repentance and a new life in Jesus Christ, the church. And you'll notice I put in there the local church. The local church. There is a universal church. That means Christians in New Zealand hopefully aren't <laughs> part of the flying spaghetti monster thing, you know. But there's Christians in New Zealand and over in China, and there's Christians up in Russia and over in the Ukraine who are believers. That's the universal church. If I fly over there, I'm, I'm, I'm with them. We're together. That's the universal church, but there is also a local church. That means gatherings of people like we are in other churches around Berks County. We need to understand what the local church is. There's a strange thing happening. There are many, many hundreds, if not thousands upon thousands of Christians who are leaving the church. They're dropping out of church at an alarming rate. This is unbelievable. This, this is a strange delusion of massive proportions where Christians are leaving the institutional church, the conventional church, and they're leaving these places that God has established in his word. 
That's like a freshman at Harvard failing miserably and realizing maybe I should have just went to community college. You know, these people are signing on the dotted line of Christianity and realizing, whoa, this is too hard. This is too difficult. This requires too much. And now they're leaving. They're referred to in literature, articles, and books that I've been reading as the leavers, the leavers or the duns. They're done with the church. They're also referred to as the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, or non-goers, professing Christians. Now, these would be maybe the, the strongest of the strong in the Christian church, only go to church now, the local church, two times a month just two times. It used to be four times and then even more than that. But now it's dramatically dropped where Christians are just showing up two times a month to go to church. It's a churchless Christianity. It's a Christian thinking that they can survive and thrive apart from the local, ongoing, consistent, committed gathering of his people. And the Bible does not teach that. We need to be together regularly. Here's some principles. I wanna look at the churched Christian I wanna go through the text with you. You'll see these in the handout if you're able to get, I hope you got a handout and you can take those home or jot some extra notes down as the spirit of the Lord puts some thoughts into your mind as I go through this outline. There are three. They have a confidence to enter. Here's a church to Christian. They have a confidence to enter. If you look at verse 19, there's a transitional word. It's the word therefore, super important word. The writer of Hebrews, I believe is the apostle Paul and he's taking us all the way back for 10 chapters of the supremacy of Jesus Christ. If you go from the word therefore previously all the way to chapter one, verse one, you're gonna find that Jesus is exalted as the Messiah, as the anointed one, as the mediator between man and God. So he gives 10 chapters of incredible doctrine focused on the person of Jesus Christ. And then he's gonna transition with that word therefore. And he's gonna move through the text now and he's gonna do some important things that we need to understand. He's talking about salvation in the previous 10 chapters. And whenever Jesus is presented, then there is to be a response. Now, remember, these are Hebrews. I don't believe they are Christians. They're called brothers, but it's brothers in the Jewish context, not brothers in the sense of a Christian brother. And so these people have heard about Jesus and Paul and others have taught about Jesus. And now he's calling all of these Jewish people to faith in their Messiah. And so they're moving in close, they're moving in closer. And Paul wants them to know that you can enter in. You can enter in with confidence. Notice verse 19, since we have this confidence. Now to talk about confidence in entering holy places, you'll see that in the text. He mentions these holy places by the blood of Jesus. That was shocking to a Jewish mind. Now you're thinking to yourself, it's not shocking for me to think that way. But if you were a Jew in that day and you're hearing somebody say something like, you're gonna, you're gonna go into the presence of God with confidence, and it's gonna be by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now you gotta remember, their, their mind is reeling now. They're thinking, what is going on here? I've not heard this teaching before. What do you mean I could enter in with confidence into the holy places? Now they're referring to the temple. The temple had places in it that were holy, the table of showbread and other places, but it's going further than that. It's going into an inner chamber called the Holy of Holies. And once a year, there would be a person that would go into the Holy of Holies and they would take the blood of animals and they would put it on the mercy seat. Does anybody know who that person was? Yeah, it was the high priest. And the high priest would go in and they would tie a bell and they would tie his leg and 
you know, connect him to those who are outside of the holy places. And there was a little bell, and they didn't hear that bell moving around. They thought, you know what, God killed him. He went in there inappropriately. And so they would pull the guy out by the rope. One time a year that the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, and the blood was put on the mercy seat, and the people's sins would be forgiven for a year. Amazing. Now remember, the author of Hebrews is presenting this material to this Jewish mind that now you can enter in and you're entering in in a new and living way. It has been opened up to you by the blood of Jesus Christ, Jesus's blood. You remember in that text, I think it's in one of the gospels, if not all of them, where he was dying and he dies and the curtain was rent in two. Do you remember that? It was torn in two. This is the curtain that separated the holy places from the holy of holies. And now, because Jesus is my Savior, I can enter into the most holy places. Not because of Chris, but because of Jesus' blood. Now listen to this, because you're going to try to get to heaven one day, and you're going to stand before God, he's going to say, where's the blood? Where's the blood? Well, you don't know how I lived, you know, I, was, I lived hard, I worked hard, you know, I did a lot, I suffered you know, how about my blood? And God's gonna say, it's not your blood that's gonna be on the mercy seat. It was my son's blood that was put there. You needed to trust in that blood. So you're gonna get to heaven and you're gonna think because of you, you're gonna get into the holy of holies? Today would be a great day for you to go, you know what, I repent of my sins. Jesus Christ is the one, his blood was shed for me. He is the only one that can get me to heaven. It's his blood that was put on the mercy seat. Imagine that day when a man or a woman would stand before almighty and holy God and they think that there's something inside of them that could get them inside. How arrogant is that? How prideful that is. And so he's talking about here this entering into the most holy place. Again, it's shocking to the readers. It's shocking to his audience. I want you to look at that big word, confidence, now, remember, he's talking about a temple, and there is no more temple, right? There is no more temple. The Bible says that who are the temple? We are the temple. That's in Corinthians. So now we're the temple, and God dwells within us, but there's still a house of God, and the house of God is the local church, and God dwells in the house of God, too. He's omnipresent. He's with us. He is everywhere present. He manifests himself in very unique and powerful ways in the local assembly of his people. Even at the Fox Theater, he does that in other churches. So he's talking here about entering into the very presence of God. It's a holy place. It should be a reverent place. Now, when Jesus saved you, he put you in relationship with himself. This is what happened. He established a relationship with you through repentance and faith in him. You became one with Christ. Now watch this, because when you were saved and you were converted, you came into a relationship with Jesus, but you also came into a relationship with the church. So when Jesus dies, repentance is granted to you. You're able to believe by faith in him. Your eyes and understanding are open. Your heart is changed. Your will is changed. And you're becoming a Christian. It's called regeneration. And so when you cross over into that fully and completely, then you're born again. But you're born again towards something. Not just heaven. You're born again towards the church. You're placed in the church. You're part of the body. You cannot separate Jesus Christ from the church. 
This isn't even in the mind of Jesus. It's not in the mind of God that that can happen, but yet it's in the mind of many Christians today. We belong together. One with the other. The church is like a vehicle. If you could bring up this image here, you'll see, you'll notice that if you've ever been to Orlando, Florida, where am I at there in that picture? We're, yeah, that's the magic kingdom right there. I want you to think about the church like the monorail. Take a peek at that. Because when you, bring, when you go to Disney, you get in your car, but you can only go so far in your car and you have to get on a little tram and then the tram takes you to a monorail and then the monorail takes you to the Magic Kingdom. And oh boy, oh boy, when you get off the monorail and you walk down those steps and then you go in through the, the gate, it's awesome at the Magic Kingdom. It's such a great feeling. But listen to this. The church is God's means for you to get from here to heaven. It's like the monorail. You can't get to heaven in any other way other than through the church. You're part of it. Just like you can't go to the magic kingdom in your car and think that you can drive right up to the gate, they will not let you do that. There are no cars at the front entrance there. You have to go the monorail to get into the kingdom. You have to go through the church to get into the kingdom. This is God's means. It's like transportation. To not take God's transportation doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. One of the greatest writers, theologians, and pastors is John Calvin. He's gotten a poor bad rap, been slandered by the Christians through the years. And so the six or seven biographies I've read of John Calvin, uh, man, he was a godly man. He knew Jesus, wasn't perfect, but he walked with God in ways that were just profound. In fact, some of our Western world, as you know it, the good things, is a result of John Calvin and his influence. He wrote some material on the church as a mother. He knew God as his father, but he also knew the church as his mother. Can I show you one of those quotes? Bring it up here if you would. Here's what he said. You cannot have God for your father unless you have the church for your mother. So we want God, but we don't want his church. Calvin was right. I think he was onto something that we need to know today, and he lived in the 1500s. So he must have been seeing something in, the, in Geneva, Switzerland, where people were separating themselves. Isn't that what we read in Hebrews 10? People are not meeting together regularly. The church is our mother, as, the, as we have the father as well. The enemy is winning and deceiving Christians, I really believe this, into thinking that they can have Jesus but not his church. What Jesus values, listen to this, what Jesus values, we, we value. Would you agree with that? Do you know who Jesus died for? Who did he die for? He died for the church. You're saying, wait a minute, the Bible says that he died for the whole world. Well, this isn't a theological lesson, but I'm gonna challenge you to go into John's gospel and see what it says about the object of the affections of Jesus Christ. And you'll see that he died for his own. Now his own are those who repent and believe in Christ. I don't know who those people are. I don't know who the elect are. I don't know who the chosen are. All I'm saying is that you need to believe on Jesus Christ. And if you do, you, you're one of the elect, you're one of the chosen. Confidence to enter in. We're talking about a church Christian. Number two, let's look at this, a confession to express verses 21 down to verse 23. 
a confession to express. You'll notice that he is called the great high priest over the house of God. Notice chapter three. I'm gonna go back into Hebrews with you at the beginning of this letter. Hebrews chapter three, one to six. Can we go through these verses? Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all of God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Notice the exaltation of Christ. As much more glory as the builder of a house, as has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence, or literally our confession and our boasting in our hope. There's a confession to express. Let me show you some other confessions in scripture. Daniel chapter nine, verse four says this, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love for those who love him and keep his commandments. Daniel made a confession. We're making confessions all the time. Here's another one. Let's keep going. Romans 10, nine, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We make a confession. We express the confession. Philippians 2.11, in every tongue that they will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Did you know that every human being is gonna make a confession whether they're saved or unsaved? Jesus is gonna come back and then people are gonna be on their face. And for them, it's gonna be too late if they haven't trusted in Christ. And then they'll be eternally separated from God. It's a long time, eternity. But they're gonna make a confession that they're going to express, and they're gonna be forced to do it. And it's gonna be a righteous, a righteous forcing. We're so about the free will of man. There will be no free will in that day. In that day, it will be overrun by the power of God coming. Right now, you look at the world, they don't care about God. Most of them, they don't live for Jesus. They don't follow his word. And they think they're gonna get away with it, but they're not gonna get away with it. One day there's gonna be a confession that they have to express and they're gonna be forced to do it. They will bow and then they'll be eternally separated from God forever. This is serious biz. This is serious. The Christian life is serious. Truth is serious. A confession we're all making confessions. How about somebody in the house here, somebody in the room, a guy? How about a guy? Take out your wallet. Take out your wallet and then hold up your license if you have a license. I hope you have a license, right? If, if you're a driver, you have one, right? So somebody, Dave Roach has a license there. Uh, anytime somebody asks for a license, it is a confession as to who he is, right? And so some of you go, can I see your license, please? And then you take out your wallet or your pocketbook and you go, here, you're, you're expressing your confession as to who you are. I mean, that sounds Christian, right? That sounds like this is what God is calling us to do. We're making a confession of Christ, but listen, we're making a confession of his church. So day one from the day you, you first became a Christian, you're not just confessing Jesus, you're confessing his church. These are the people that I belong to. These are the people I'm committed to. And how do you express that? Does anybody know? You get a little bit wet. Yeah, baptism. So when you're put in a tank 
It's not just so that you can have a little party afterwards and have a piece of cake with the rest of your family. In the early church, if you got in some water and you were being baptized, you were making a public confession that you're a follower of Christ, and that meant you could die. So when you get into a tank in the modern church, it's not that you would die. You're making a confession and a profession of what you believe, but it's not the same. That's why we say here when we do baptisms, when you get in the tank, you're making a confession, you're expressing that confession that you are a Christian, but not that you just belong to Jesus. You belong to his church. You're part of this. Listen, when persecution starts to come upon us, I wanna know, Loretta, are you real? I wanna know. I wanna know, Paul, are you gonna be real? Are you gonna have my back and I'm gonna have your back? Because when people are firing at us or cutting our heads off or putting us in jail, I wanna know, is Paul legit? And so we need to know that. We don't, we don't even get this mindset because we're not persecuted. You send this teaching or you, you, you take yourself over across the seas where you can go to jail and get killed. And when somebody gets in the water and they're making a confession, expressing that confession, they're saying, you know what? Jesus is my Lord and Savior and I'm part of the church. I'm part of the church. They don't separate from the church. This is a modern American evangelical problem. It's a strange thing. It's so strange. Hold fast. That's what the text says. Hold fast, the writer says there. Notice it. Don't disappear. Don't abandon the church. Listen, if you abandon the church, you're abandoning Christ. This is what you're doing. Don't run from the church because you're running from Jesus. It's the same thing. Let me show you a picture on the screen. You might be familiar with this guy. Anybody know who this is? This is Josh Harris. And when I was a youth pastor, Josh wrote some books. I kissed Dating Goodbye, and it just went crazy popular. And every youth pastor wanted Joshua Harris's book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye, and he was used of the Lord in just huge ways. So Josh became a pastor of a very well-known church in Maryland, uh, and he was there for a while. But if you've followed any of the social media, you know that Joshua Harris has abandoned Jesus Christ, and he's abandoned the church. Now, for me, that was kind of shocking. For you, it might be just like, wow. But when, when you're actually following this guy and his teaching and you're being influenced as a young youth pastor and then you find out years and years later that he is not, he's not confessing Jesus anymore or the church and he is abandoning it, that's pretty shocking. It stunned me. So there was another person recently, Marty Sampson, who was, or Simpson, is it Simpson, Sampson, Simpson? Samson uh, from Hillsong, and he now is going down that same road. He's not making a confession of Jesus Christ anymore or his church. Do you know there's going to be a lot more to come? The falling away. The falling away. Had a young man in my church up in uh, Connecticut. His, uh, I'm not going to say what his name is because who knows, he might hear it online or something. But uh, I knew that he was struggling. I can tell when people are struggling in the church, and I can tell when they're ready to go. I can tell. He's just been doing it too long. And this young man was showing signs of that. So I went to him, and I said, are you okay? What's going on? And he go, and you could tell. He got, you know, the awkwardness. He says, yeah, I'm just, I just really believe that God wants me to leave. And I said, why? 
He couldn't give me any biblical solid answer whatsoever. I said, you don't wanna do this. I've seen this over and over again, that when you leave and you separate yourself from the church, you will not go the right direction. I wasn't trying to manipulate him. I was trying to shepherd him. I was trying to warn him. You know what happened to his life? I thought he had a marriage that would have lasted forever. Just recently, I saw his ex-wife. They didn't make it. He didn't make it. Now she's getting married again to somebody else. I knew that was going to happen. And he didn't listen. You can't separate yourself. That is one among dozens of upon dozens, upon dozens, in almost 30 years of ministry. You separate from the church of Jesus, you will not survive. Because God didn't design it like that. We have a churchless Christianity. You can't drift away from Christ's church and claim closeness to Christ. That's gonna be very, very controversial, what I just said. And I knew when I wrote it down, it would be. There are too many people that think, you know what, I'm close to Jesus, I'm close, I'm doing well. And I ask, are you doing well? Are you going to church? No, I'm not going to church. Are you underneath the, the, the leadership of elders who love you and shepherd you? No. You know, are you with the, the fellowship of the saints so there's accountability and there's exhortations and encouragement? No. But then don't say that you're close to Christ. Because you're not. You're deceived is what you are. It's deception. Can I show one more? Number three, a community to encourage. This is so wonderful. We are a community. It's in verses 24 down to verse 25. This is where the writer gets a little bit more specific about our relationship to one another. The church is a community. We're all meant to live in relationship. Listen, we're not codependent. You know what codependent is? That's insecurity. You don't want that. We want interdependence. We want interdependence. Honestly, I need Tom Miller. I don't need him because I'm insecure. I need him because he has gifts that I don't have. And I have gifts that he doesn't have. And so we're interdependent, not codependent. If I would just get in a fetal position and cry because Tim, Tom just doesn't love me. Oh, he said something mean to me and I just start crying and I'm just so hurt. No, that's, that's insecurity. That's codependence. I just need to have you in my life so that I can move forward with the Lord. Because when you're gone out of my life, I just feel like everything's crushed and I just can't go on. That's insecurity. That's codependency. That's not interdependency. Does that make any sense? There has to be a difference there. There's a community. It's a wonderful community. Notice the writer says, let us consider. Notice the text. Let us consider or seriously think. And then he uses this word, stir up. This is a good little word. Do you see it? I'm in the ESV, so it might be in a different word, another version. Let us consider. We gotta stir each other up. You know what the word stir means? It means to stimulate. It can also mean to provoke, to provoke. You ever been provoked? Man, I'm provoked every time I'm on the 422 during rush hour. It provokes me, you know? It's like, is anybody else with me on that? It means to stimulate, to provoke. It means to rouse. We gotta stir each other up. This is encouragement. This is a community. 
Now, when we think of church services, there's a history to the church services. probably stems back to some of the synagogue orders of service that they had, and then it kind of spilled over into the early church, and then it just kind of progressed from there. You know, in the service, there's worship and word and prayer and communion and all of these things that we do. We use our gifts. We fellowship with one another. We give. But there's this encouragement piece that I want to focus in on because we all need encouragement. Every week, all of us are to be together so that we can encourage one another. Listen, God has resourced us for faithfulness in and through the church, collectively getting together regularly, regularly. The church is a means of grace. Now, when I say means of grace, it is from the Reformed tradition. I understand that. You might not have heard that before. So the Reformers would call it a means of grace. God has established things where grace is dispensed. It's given to us all along the way. And I really believe what the Reformers believe, that the church is meant to be a means of grace. I'm born again by Jesus and the cross. I'm brought from that point all the way to heaven by a means of grace. He sustains me, he strengthens me, he teaches me, and he corrects me all in through what? The church. The church is that. It's not Jesus disciplining you by yourself and you have no church. It's Jesus and you in and through the church making sure that I get to heaven. It's kind of like this image here, if you'll show that next image on the screen. Can you bring that up? This is, a, this is what is known as a storm shelter. This would also work for Armageddon when that comes. So if you want to get all your, your food goods and water, it could work for that. This is a storm shelter, but this is really a, a picture of the church. And when we're together regularly, we're loving each other and feeding each other and sometimes correcting each other and encouraging one another. It's like getting into a storm shelter because when the storm hits, you got to have that. you got to have that protection, and the church is the protection of God for Christians. This is what he did. He built this thing. We've lost community. Anybody grew up in a community development? Where I grew up, there was a, a development. It's in Delaware. You can still go down there. I go down there to this day. It's called Hickory Hill. That's where I grew up. <clears throat> it's in Hocassin, Delaware. It had about 300 houses in it. It was a big development. It was a community. Now, back when I was growing up, there, the community factor was way different than it is now. We've lost community. And so now we're isolated, independent. You know, you don't know your neighbor. You don't talk to your neighbor. Everybody has fences surrounding them. You know, some of you have cameras making sure the neighbor doesn't come into your yard or whatever. You know, and so this is the world that we live in. We don't live in a world where there's high community, intense, loving community. Hickory Hill was a lot different. That was the day when, when I would go outside and play with my friends. My parents would not know where I was. Does anybody remember those days? You know, and then I wouldn't wear shoes, so I'd come home, and I'd be running in the grass, and my feet would be all green, and my mom would be like, what in the world, you know? And so, and then we would be out there, you know, causing all kinds of shenanigans and mischief and everything like that. You know what would happen if I wasn't behaving? The neighbor would discipline me. Come on. It was like, what? You're not my mom or dad. Get out of here, you know? But no, they would, like, give me a little spanking, you know? And it's like, that's the community. That's different today. We've lost that. Mom and dad would be talking to people on the front yard, the neighbors, and you would have this thing happening at Hickory Hill that was pretty cool. 
It's hard to find those today. You gotta find it in the church. Here's verse 25. Notice with your own eyes, if you would, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some is. Now, for the writer to write that, there's obviously a problem going on uh, because people aren't regularly meeting. Do you know it takes about a month to create a habit? So anything that you do, if you're looking at pornography for a month, the chances of you being able to overcome that are going to be slim. If you start drinking alcohol regularly and consistently, and if you do that for a month, you're probably going to end up an alcoholic. A habit is formed after 30 days. Do you know if you miss church more than three weeks, the chances of you ever coming back dramatically drops? And people are flirting with this two times a month thing. That's like dangerous. A habit is being formed. The habit was being formed here. Churchless church. Churchless Christianity. It's an epidemic. Read a book recently, uh, and a lot of these resources are coming out. This is by a lady named Kelly Bean, How to Be a Christian Without Going to Church. Now, any book that I read, I pray over it, and any book that I read, I want, I want the truth out of it. And so you go through any book, and you're like, okay, that's, I can believe that. I can't believe that. Uh, Kelly starts off really, really, really good. She moves into a lot of personal stories about people that leave the institutional conventional church, and then they're doing their own thing. I'm not super interested in a lot of stories, honestly. I want theology. I want, I want biblical explanation of what's going on. So when I read the stories, I was like, well, yeah, you know, I, I kind of bypassed a lot of that. Because you know what happens in most churches? People aren't leaving for biblical reasons. They're leaving because they get hurt feelings. So I don't want to hear a story about somebody who, who gets hurt feelings and they leave a church. I want to know more than that. But there's a lot of materials being written like this. I'm going to leave the church now. I'm done with it. I'm a nun. N-O-N-E. I'm a lever. Uh, this, is, this is pretty scary. I'm not saying all the stuff that she said was wrong or bad. It was some really good stuff. A lot of what she was writing about, I've read about for years. I understand the, the movement. I understand why people are leaving the church. I understand where they're going. I've gone down that road. God isn't done with the institutional conventional church. He's not done with it. He wants to reform it. It's not a perfect church. And listen, if you go into this situation where there is no structure, there's no elders, there's just a bunch of Christians hanging out, loving each other, that's not a church. You've got to have certain things structured biblically to, for it to be a church. But I understand the thinking. I get it. I've been mad in church before. I've gotten hurt by pastors before. I've gotten betrayed and slandered, and I wanted to leave the church. And then God said, no. You're supposed to be in the church. Now, if you want to have a, a small house church that has pastors and elders in it, I'm cool with that. <laughs> I'm cool with that. It doesn't, it's not a building. It's the people. But it has to be structured biblically. So I'm not against that. I was asked to start a house church in Lidditz in 2014. I was part of a house church movement. And God said, I want, you to go to the, I want you to go to the worship center. I was like, I don't want to go there. That's a mega church. 
And I was in the mega church during a service, and the Lord said, I'm not done with this church. I'm doing something here like I'm doing in the house church movement. See, this is what happens. People swing one pendulum one way, and then it goes the other way. And then God said, no, I want you to come back to the church. I'm going to reform the church. You don't leave it. Don't leave the church. It's a strange thing that's going on. So we're called to pick up our cross. We're called to do it with the right motives, and we're called to do it together. Can we all stand? Holy Spirit, we just need you to keep opening our eyes to truth. Help us to see truth. Help us to understand that your ways are the ways that we should follow, not the ways of man. Help us to understand that your word is what's preeminent. When you speak, we listen and we choose to follow. So help us, Holy Spirit, to apply what we have just looked at. Bring people in to the presence of God through the cross of Jesus, through his death, through his blood. Help us to make an honest confession. As Dave Roach lifted up that license, this is who I am. Help us to make a confession that we belong to Jesus and we belong to the church. And so God, may there be a community here that is so alive and so real, that's intentionally meeting and loving each other and sacrificing for one another. God, would you please help those who are struggling? They've been hurt. They've been going through some stuff in the church that they wouldn't leave it, that they would get inside of a church. It's the means of grace. It's the way to get to heaven is to travel with other Christians in the church. Strange things are happening, Lord. Strange things. Open our eyes, work in our heart. Help us to make the right choices, Lord your choices. As we sing this song, may we exalt you. Spirit of the living God, Holy Spirit, keep moving inside of all of us. Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, let's worship.